Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. In a moment, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, will join me. We're going to talk about Florida's route over Auburn and ready y'all for the rematch at Rupp Arena. Obviously, Florida embarrassed on their home floor by Kentucky uh, in early January. Looked to turn out a better result uh, Saturday afternoon on national television, CBS, uh, when they travel to Rupp Arena. Please remember to uh, like the show on Spotify uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, give us ratings. We'll start uh, reading reviews that you leave on the show uh, just to incentivize that. So we, we certainly appreciate all the support we've gotten. Uh, it really does help um, us do the show and it energizes us for all of them. So hope you guys enjoy this one and we will be back after the Kentucky game. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined, as most of the time is the case, by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Florida, uh, a convincing win over Auburn at Auburn Arena uh, last night. Eric, we're recording on Wednesday night. Florida routes Auburn on Tuesday night. Yeah, it felt good. It's uh, felt good to have a lead and hold on to it. I mean, obviously, there's still. I mean, there's still going to be after Tuesday, but there's always people that that when Florida balloons out to a 15 or 20 point lead, there's going to be people that are waiting for uh, the slip that they think is inevitable. So for there not to be, I mean, yeah, sure, Auburn had a couple runs, but you know they cut it from 22 to 15 or whatever. Eh? But it, yeah. but it never got any. It never got any closer. So uh, I think that one's got to feel good for uh, for all parties involved. There's no question. Yeah, no, uh, it de- as you said, it, the closest it got was uh, 15 points, um, and that was 54 to 39. So it never got any closer than that. In the second half, Florida balloons to a a 22-point halftime lead. Uh, and, you know, I guess the easiest way to start is just to mention that, you know, Auburn was obviously uh, pretty rudderless without Sharif Cooper. Yeah, very much so. And, and uh, again, I don't want to, like – you know, be the wet blanket on Florida's win. I, I don't want to take anything away from it, but it, it, this was a game where it really reinforced what Florida does well defensively and what they do poorly defensively because uh, they've, you know, they've been able to to slow down some pretty good post players, and I think Auburn's got some some really good front court pieces. I also think that uh, Florida's done actually pretty well with some other teams, um, you know, bigger wings and and Alan Flanagan. They did a really really good job on on him that he didn't have a field goal and I, I think he's a spectacular player though if uh if that was the first game you've seen alan flanagan play this year you you, you probably wouldn't think he's very good because florida did a really good job so it, it's it's pretty interesting i mean this this game showed that like uh like well this game plus the georgia game i mean georgia is not very good but severe wheeler is very good and severe wheeler almost willed his team to a victory and kept a game close with the gators um Auburn is not a very good team, but their talent is not in a really good scoring guard. It's in, you know, wing players and frontcourt players and Florida handled them well it's, and, and won easily. So, so it was an interesting, an interesting look. And, and I mean, again, it's not really new information. We know that Florida has had problems with talented guards all season, um, but it did show that, uh, yeah, that they can, they can handle some, uh, some frontcourt players pretty well. Yeah, no, I thought Florida did a really nice job on uh, straight line drives. Obviously, again, the caveat, it's not I don't think it's a wet blanket on Sharif Cooper, and I'll get to more on that. You know, I don't think I don't think you're being negative at all. It's it's a reality. Obviously, Auburn is a much better basketball team when 
when Sharif Cooper is available. We saw that uh, early in the season when they didn't have Sharif Cooper. Certainly they struggled. I got to give Bruce Pearl credit though. They, they played a really difficult schedule, um, which is kind of a little bit of a change in philosophy from the early years when Pearl was at Auburn and he would play Cupcake City to kind of build confidence in his program. And now they kind of, you know, even the year that they made the final four, they took on all comers and their seed was a little affected by that. Um, but back to this current Auburn team, you know, yeah, I mean, you're, you're removing their best guy at, at getting into the gaps and penetrating and, and uh, Florida did a nice job of shutting that out. Not all of Auburn's 12, sorry, it was 11 first half turnovers were, uh, were four stairs, but Florida did have some. Uh, Quiz Glover had a really nice back tip um, that led to, to points. Obviously, Scotty Lewis had the interception and the run out that made Sports Center's top 10 plays. Um, there was another play where Lewis intercepted uh, a pass on a guy who I think decided he didn't want to penetrate, and then in, Lewis intercepts and did exactly what you would have loved him to do more and just went straight at the basket the other way. Uh, dribbling in a straight line and got fouled. So Florida did create some turnovers with their defense. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, the, the one bucket I love from Scotty Lewis was like he had like one dribble from beyond the three-point line and was still able to like lay it in with his extension, his explosiveness. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, for him, like it's really interesting. You look at the uh, some of the second spectrum data that they have in the NBA, the, the player tracking. They do not have that in the college game, sadly. Uh, but it's just that it's crazy. Like one of the things they have for the NBA is like how players, uh, the more dribbles they take, how, how it either, you know, how it affects their percentages. And it's crazy. Like almost every player, the more dribbles they take anywhere on the floor, uh, their chance of, of scoring becomes uh, much less. And I feel like for Lewis, that's uh, that's definitely the case. So, man, when he can uh, attack, take one bounce, two long strides, and and explode by a shot blocker, that's, that's the best of Scotty Lewis. But the other thing that was interesting, of course, was uh, how much they were able to press. And I think that that was probably directly related to Shreve Cooper being out. I, I would have yeah. been interested to know if they would have thought that they would be able to press Auburn if Shreve Cooper was playing. Maybe it was in there maybe it was one of their strategies to say, Hey, can we try to keep the ball? Like, like, let's try to, let's try to force the ball out of his hands and, and let someone else play four on three as, as they chase. Maybe that was something they thought they were going to do, but it also might've been, Hey, it's 20 minutes before the game and they still aren't totally sure if Shreve Cooper's playing. And then it's like, Oh no, he's not playing. Uh, I guess we're going to press a whole bunch. Uh, which is interesting. I mean, it kind of brings up even too as something we could talk about or or or, or not. But uh, uh, of course, before the season, there was so much talk about how much is is this team going to be able to press. The answer is probably not as much as Mike White made it sound like he wanted to press. Uh, but again, when when a team's missing their point guard and and really doesn't have another option, uh, definitely smart for the Gators to press and and uh, especially with Scotty Lewis, who could jump some of those passing lanes when they had to float some passes over the over the middle of the floor. Uh, Florida's definitely able to make them pay. So uh, really good pressing performance by the Gators. But uh, yeah, it's obviously, uh, uh, obviously it's, it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, if they're ever going to play a team without a point guard, uh, that's what they should do. Um, but it's, uh, it makes me wonder, it's like, Hey, do, you know, do you, would they ever be able to do this against a team with, with capable ball handling? Not totally sure, but Hey, in the against Auburn, it was great. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't, again, I, and I think there's a reason as you pointed out that they haven't done that very much, but uh, whether that was an adjustment or whether that was the game plan, it certainly worked. I, you know, um, I'd like to think it was an adjustment given the other stuff that they did. I thought that they, they um, 
ran good offense too, especially in the first half. There really weren't, you know, too many errors. I thought that interestingly, or, or not really that interestingly, I guess, predictably is probably the better word here, Eric. Uh, the only times Florida really got into trouble on offense is when they ran pick and rolls for Noah Locke or when Noah Locke, uh, or I guess on one possession, Quez Glover picked up their dribble really far away from the basket. <laughs> yeah, that'll uh, that's that'll get you get you in trouble sometimes for sure. And uh, I do think it was a pretty interesting game. Um, Florida definitely seemed to to go a little bit more into into their kind of half court playbook. They ran like floppy a whole bunch of play that they've ran for Noah Locke, but they ran it for Scotty Lewis. Uh, they ran it for him a bunch. Uh, they also ran a whole lot to uh, to just get post ups. And and then uh, when they did run pick, so okay, well. I'll tell you this for, for starters, Florida only had 17 pick and roll possessions in this game, which is their lowest in a very long time. Um, so they definitely went away from the pick and roll, something that uh, maybe is, is pretty wise because uh, it has not been very good as we have talked about at length on this podcast and something that I've wrote about at length and tweeted about at length. So definitely good for them to, to realize that their pick and roll has been largely figured out by the SEC. And when they did run pick and roll, they did a lot of double drag, which is what you see like, every other possession in the NBA running double screens with the first player rolling second player can pop or he can kind of fade to the opposite wing. Uh, but it was interesting. I mean, I, I it kind of, uh, again, makes it a little bit tougher for teams to run the easy drop pick and roll coverage that had ruined Florida's side screen and roll, which, uh, which is a set they ran not at all against Auburn. So it does seem like they're, they're showing some adjustments there as they, uh, as they figure out that the teams had them figured out. So, uh, it was pretty good to see them, you know, throw the ball into the high post for Colin Castleton and, and then do some of the split action that comes with the Princeton offense to see them um, running Noah Locke off some screens and floppy uh, to see them run double drag on the, the secondary break. And uh, yeah, I, largely successful. I mean, they're, they're still not super crisp in, in a lot of the sets. Uh, it it kind of seems like they're just jogging through a couple of them. Like I, where like, man, it's, it's, it's basketball. you got to set a screen and explode off it. You've got to sprint off some screens. like They've got to run it a bit more crisply. Uh, but I do think from like a, a play call standpoint, uh, I was pretty happy with what I saw. Yeah, it's hard to uh, hard to argue with you there. And, and I think some of the rust that we saw in the last two games certainly uh, wearing off a little bit uh, in terms of execution. But they still have some distance to go. A guy that doesn't seem to have too much of a distance to go was uh, Trey Mann. I mean, like. I wrote, I, I, I tweeted out some of my uh, game notes and people were making fun of my handwriting, which admitted, <laughs> admittedly is absolutely atrocious. But uh, yeah, I mean, if, if Trey Mann were in NBA jams, he would have been on fire. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. In those games, can you get on fire for like five consecutive defensive rebounds? Uh, because I definitely got uh, got pretty fired up by those. But uh, it's definitely great just because whenever Trey Mann can get a defensive rebound, it it kickstarts your, your transition offense. Uh, you don't have to get an outlet pass from an Omar Payne to, uh, to a Tyree Appleby or Trey Mann. It's like Trey Mann cuts up floor and suddenly you're, you're already on the break. So, so it's great whenever, whenever Trey Mann can, can get those defensive rebounds. And uh, again, Auburn's a team that doesn't do a lot well offensively, but they do, uh, they do offensive rebound 
really well. So uh, I think there's definitely a bit of a, a diff, bit of a focus point for for Florida to say like, hey, we we've got it, we've got to get on the defensive glass. Like like one of the only ways Auburn can beat us, especially without Sharif Cooper, is if they get a billion offensive rebounds. And it's definitely seemed like Florida's guards, um, especially especially Trey Mann, were really trying to get back. And uh, of course, like this is something that does need to be said. We can look at Trey Mann getting all of the rebounds and say, uh, wow, you know, Trey Mann really bounded the ball well and um you know he did but a lot of that is Colin Castleton boxing out a lot of that is Omar Payne boxing out a lot of that is Osayo Sifo boxing out who played a good basketball game um so as much as uh you know good on Trey Mann for for getting the getting those uh getting those rebounds a lot of it was like man like there was some there was some physical physical box out box outs underneath the rim from from Florida's front court and uh, uh Trey Mann got to be the guy to uh, to benefit from that fourth Gator with a double-double this season, which is the uh, largest numbers of Gators with double-doubles since the Elite Eight season, speaks to uh, a point you've consistently made, you know, and maybe one way we haven't framed this, and uh, shout out to some of the listeners that have DM'd, uh, some of that is that this is a really talented basketball team, despite the fact that they lost the preseason SEC Player of the Year, to have four guys that can go for double-doubles. Obviously, one of them is Keontae Johnson, but um, – you know, you, he was the SEC preseason player of the year. So credit to the staff for the way they've reconstructed the roster. Absolutely. I mean, like, like I said, I mean, if you question the talent of, of this team uh, or, you know, when we talk about how talented of a basketball team there, I just start looking back at the last couple of years and say, hey, is this a more talented roster than uh, these last couple of years? Of course, the example I used was was two years ago with um, freshman Andrew Nemhard, freshman Noah Locke, freshman Keontae Johnson, you know, uh, you know, look at that team that, you know, was a, a decent team. Um, and, and look at some of those guys that came off the bench that were you know, every time they came off the bench, it was uh, it was a huge drop off for the Gators. And now you see, you know, Quez Glover as like, I don't know what you want to call him, the the 10th the guy on your on your in your rotation. I, I don't know what you want to whatever you want to call him. Um, you, you, or just like the fact that uh, that you've got Omar Payne coming off the bench or, you know, Colin Castle coming off the bench, depending on which game it is recently uh, versus like, man, Florida has not gotten backup center play and then you just look at uh, the, the the shot making of the backcourt the uh this the size of the frontcourt it's just it's it's all improved with these last couple couple years and um again to be able to to lose uh, potentially a player who's potentially going to be a first team all american or somewhere in that conversation and still be really talented yeah definitely speaks to uh definitely speaks to uh the roster construction yeah, and I think that get, that leads to the point I wanted to make about the absence of Sharif Cooper, and you probably know where I'm going with this, but uh, it's something I tweeted it, tweeted out last night. It's, I'm not trying to, to be cynical. I'm not trying to troll. I'm just pointing out that you saw what Auburn – you've seen sample sizes with Auburn without Sharif Cooper uh, prior to when he was declared eligible, and you saw them without Sharif Cooper last night. It turns out it's very hard to win without your best player. Um, and, you know, some of how you weather that is by constructing a roster that can overcome those deficiencies. And, you know, I think Bruce Pearl would be the first one to admit that this is a transitional season. Uh, there's a reason, everybody, that they didn't wait for the NCAA to hand down punishments and they may have culpit their way out of the NCAA tournament. You know, Bruce Pearl has said, I don't I didn't know how good Sharif Cooper was going to be. We thought he was really good, but, you know, he's better than we expected, which I think proves my point. The lawyer in me says, ah, it proves it that you knew that you weren't going to the NCAA tournament anyway. Um, and then without him, 
they're just not a very good basketball team. Whereas Florida, uh, uh, while they've had some frustrating losses, South Carolina, um, they have been pretty good despite losing the, uh, like you said, a first or second team all American in maybe the most traumatic way possible. Uh, yeah, I don't want to think about if there's a more traumatic way, to be honest with you. I, so I, that's about as traumatic as it gets. And again, it, it, it is pretty crazy. I mean, I was talking to Graham Hall um, yesterday during the game, and, and it was pretty interesting just to be like, you know, we all we all kind of think that, that Florida would have beaten Florida State. Uh, Kentucky had the game of their lives. And other than that, they had a close loss to Mississippi State, close loss to South Carolina, and, uh, you know, came out really flat against Arkansas. That's that That's fair, but like, Man, like I, I, I know it's like this. This kind of hindsight, hindsight is probably not very healthy to think about. But like, you could very easily see, uh, see this team with just a couple of losses. There, there's no question. And, um, and again, to see the fact that uh, there were some some preseason metrics, such as Bart Torvik, a, a site that we really, really like, uh, that had Florida as a top ten team, and. Um, of course, that was with Keontae Johnson, but even without Keontae Johnson, they they had this as as a top fifteen team. So uh, it, we're, we are we have seen kind of enough enough stretches to show show what this team is capable, especially from a talent standpoint. And again, like it's it is crazy, but yeah, as much as uh, as as much as there have been some some tough stretches, Florida dropped some games that uh, you hate to see them them lose. I mean, they're still you know, somewhere around 27, 28 by, by most predictive metrics. Um, and uh, we'll see by the end of the season if they can get back into the top 25, but still kind of like a, like a fringy top 25 team. So, uh, which is interesting. I mean, you always kind of see like, uh, uh, not that I, I don't, I don't know if it's a very fair comparison, but, but a team that always seems to be like, eh, they're okay. And then they end up making like a really good NCAA tournament run um, is like Oregon. Like Oregon has had all these really, really talented uh, teams, and you always look at their team and you say, "Wow, they're really talented." And then you look at how they play, and then you're like, "Oh, they just don't really get the most the most out of their guys." And so, like two years ago, uh, when they were like a 12 seed but made a Sweet 16, like uh, a couple of years back, same thing, uh, had some rough rough games, and then and then make it a lead eight run. Like uh, I'm, I I don't know if Florida's going to be exactly that team, um, but I, I look at the fact that there have been some teams like that who like had really, really good talent, didn't totally figure out in the regular season. Then they get into the big dance and then just like overwhelm teams with their talent when, when everyone plays plays to their potential. And I mean, I, I see the talent on this, this Florida team and I say, man, if they do all just like play well at once, uh, they can be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, they really could. And I, it's not just us making this point. I mean, I heard uh, Dallin Cuff today on Sirius XM saying, you know, he actually mentioned the point you made, which is this is why Eric belongs in a much – uh, better analyst spot than, <laughs> than the Capert seat in Florida basketball hour. But uh, he's, he pointed out South Carolina and their final four run. He said, you know, you look back at that roster and it was like Mike Kotsar was like an all league type player. Sidarius Thornwell is, you know, a G league donk. Uh, Chris Silva, uh, you know, is, you know, was a contributor on a team that was in the NBA finals uh, and undoubtedly was a contributor on that basketball team when they got to the bubble. Uh, that was a talented basketball team, um, and they weren't great in the regular season. You know, they were good enough to what get like a seven seed. Guess uh, guess, guess what they were in Ken Palm um, going into the NCAA tournament. Not what they not what they finished at. Twenty eighth. They were twenty eighth. I don't know if you knew that. It's somewhere in, your, in the recesses of your mind, they were twenty eighth. Okay, so yeah, they were they were twenty eighth, and uh, yeah, it's actually crazy because they were twenty eighth. Well. 
okay. Sorry, I might have. I actually lied to you. That was a mistake. They were 28th going into the SEC tournament. Where okay. if you remember they lost the first. Game, they lost to, to to Alabama like pretty handily, and then they dropped to 30th. In so so, anyways, but they were 28th for the last two weeks of the season. Um, they actually held really solid at 28. They weren't like up and down like you know Florida has been. Um, but yeah, 28th in Florida right now in Ken Palm, which I haven't looked at, is 26th. So uh, so there you go. And they were, I mean, they were good enough to beat Elite Eight Florida, obviously in the Elite Eight. But then, but more impressive to me, they beat Egbunu Florida. Um, you know, so uh, I don't. I mean, look, Florida wins in at, at West Virginia, and we've all seen that West Virginia is really good. So we know the skaters teams can play. Uh, I think the question is about consistency, but certainly a long way of saying don't shed too many tears for Auburn and the Sharif Cooper thing. Part of your program is how you construct your roster and Florida's has been constructed to weather uh, the loss of, you know, their best player. Um, do we all kind of want to look at that counterfactual that, that Eric just talked about and say, man, imagine this team with Keontae. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the most bittersweet part of this whole college basketball season. And I'll be honest, like I have really enjoyed this college basketball season. I don't know if it's that, I'm in the pan. It's the, still the pandemic. And I thought it was going to be over last Memorial day, Eric. And uh, I don't know if it was that like being hospitalized with COVID and like wondering what was going to happen. I don't know if it's just that I marvel at the fact that it looks like they're going to pull this season off somehow. Um, but it's been a lot of fun, even without the fans and stuff. And that's the most bittersweet thing about it for me. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, and again, I think that there's, like I keep, I keep going back to just how talented this this roster is, and and uh, it's crazy because there there would certainly be teams that if, if Florida were to lose a player anywhere in that stratosphere, they would just be their season would truly be over, and that's obviously not the case for this team, uh, this team at all. But uh, yet, especially again to see, and I'm I'm not trying to to rag on the other players in that in that position, but again, like Florida's probably weakest weakest spot would be the position that that Keontae Johnson plays which again when it comes to roster construction um they went from being very very deep at that position to a little bit below average um which you know still could be still could be way worse for most teams losing their best player but uh uh yeah and of course there's just the fact that like you know particularly Keontae Johnson's style of play not only was he awesome but he was a, he played a style of basketball that that we all loved so yeah. Uh, yeah definitely bitter definitely bittersweet but still love seeing him on on the sidelines that's awesome and uh let's uh it'd be even you know imagine the stories if, if Florida is able to go on a little bit of a postseason run and he's like barking out defenses from the from the sideline and jumping yeah. up and down cheering on his on his teammates I mean it would be it'd be tremendous yeah, it would be awesome, and we saw him barking out defenses last night, and I had a tweet about it because uh, James Dykes wouldn't talk about it. But, mm. um, you know, in between his soliloquy about whether or not Sharif Cooper should go to the NBA and how good Kentucky was, um, the greatest 8-13 and 13 team in the history of basketball, I'm pretty sure is the argument that he was advancing. Uh, we saw the best college basketball game that Scotty Lewis has played. Oh, that it could very, very well be that. Um, I, I'd have to. <laughs> hmm. I'm trying, trying to think if there's anything else that would jump out. But I mean, just, uh, just, just my memory of the game. That's, that's got to be, uh, that's got to be about, uh, about that. Especially his ability to just do, uh, 
to be able to just just score off cuts, score off straight line drives, hit a couple of three pointers. I mean, he's obvi- he's had better shooting games in his life. There's uh, that's for sure. But uh, sure. Uh, but you know, he hit a couple of them. Um, we we will forget the air ball. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd have to say. And then again, for him to step up uh, defensively. Uh, and again, I think that that's something that's um, for for Scotty Lewis. It, it does seem like you know some of these these quicker, shiftier guards seems to have a little bit more trouble with them. But like the you know the Devin Cambridges of the world, the the Allen Flanagan's players that are a little bit bigger and a little bit more maybe physical drivers. Uh, Scotty Lewis did a really good job on them. And then uh, of course playing in the press, he was able to be he was able to to play the middle of the the middle of the press and just get his hands on every everything. So uh, yeah, I, I'd have to say I'd have to agree with you, Neil. Probably the the best game we've seen. Yeah, I thought it was his best one on both sides of the floor. Like, I thought he played really well against Arkansas last year, uh, late in the season in Florida's win. And, and I thought he actually played pretty well in Florida's last game in their uh, heartbreaking loss to Kentucky. He, he was quite good, uh, as I recall, in that game. But, he, but yeah, I mean, he looked terrific in this game. And you know what I liked is that, like, normally Eric and I lament the mid-range jump shot. Uh, and I think – with good reason, but for like a player, we're going to talk about Isaiah Jackson in a little bit. Who's another guy who can hit a mid range jump shot. And I kind of liked that Scotty took one and made one early. I think it did a lot for his confidence. Like I don't want him pulling up and taking that all the time, but he's not really going to take a pull up off the bounce three. Um, I don't think he does. He doesn't do that too much. Maybe you have that, the numbers on that and I'm wrong, but I feel like that's not really something he's doing yet. I didn't mind that look for Scotty Lewis and and that he was able to make one. You know, I think it gave him confidence because then he makes like a double clutch, silly Ooh, looking three yeah. <laughs> a little later. And I was like, all right, he's, he's feeling good, I guess. Uh, well, pretty interestingly, he hasn't taken a three off the dribble uh, this year. He's taken okay. – um, yeah, well – or sorry, I miss misspoke. He has not hit a dribble uh, shot off the. Sure. Uh, um, he has taken he has taken a few, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, again, if you're going to take a, a mid range shot off the dribble, which is not always the greatest, um, at least he is someone who who does get pretty good balance on it. I, I do appreciate that he's not like doing the like Jalen Hudson leaner. Um, he's not stepping back in the mid range, which was kind of the, the Andrew Nemhart shot, which he was pretty good at, but still is just not a great shot. Like he gets his feet underneath him. He gets his balance and he jumps straight up. Like that's about, that's as good of a mid range jump shot uh, from uh, off the dribble that you're going to get. So, so I don't mind that. And he has shown some pretty good touch, uh, some pretty good touch on those types of shots. And uh, man, those, those do feel really good going in. There's a reason players love to shoot those shots, despite the fact they know they're, they're not great. They, they feel good. And um, so they certainly feel a lot better when, when they go in and um, I'm sure it, sure it really did, uh, did help his confidence. Yeah. I mean, he just hadn't made much the last couple of games. So I think it was big for him to get that bucket early. And then, you know, obviously the best stuff he did was, was off, in transition and defensively with the five steals sports center dunk. And then the play that I loved, which was a, a faucet special, like just intercept the pass, lift up his head and attack, um, you know, and I sometimes want, like he got fouled, he didn't score, but I, you know, I sometimes wonder cause he's such a good free throw shooter. Shout out to Malik. Um, <laughs> there's something that he is that he is actually good at that Malik. Um, you know, young man, your vertical is like 42 inches and you're like silly long, like, please attack the basket. Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, he could definitely take, um, 
you definitely take a little bit of a, of a pointer from Trey Mann, who does this really well about like protecting the ball, uh, taking contact, and, and then trying to finish. He can sometimes get get a little uh, a little bit looser, a little bit trying to like finish with extension around shot blockers versus um, a little bit like yeah, <laughs> like like Trey Mann is just so so good at this, where he just like yeah. uh, he goes, he he elevates, he has two ends on the basketball, he takes the bounce, he or he takes the bump, then he tries to finish, and um, it's it's just so much so much more of a controlled way to finish um, versus if you uh, are holding the ball at full extension and then you take contact well you're you're probably going to lose the handle a little bit and and be a little looser so uh there's definitely some some moments he can still get a little bit better but um uh when you've got the when you've got the vertical like that it also just sometimes he can just like beat players to to the spot and and again it's just if if he gets if he jumps first he, he's probably going to be able to finish around just about anyone yeah, can we um, like I guess before we wrap this up, a couple other thoughts on this game. You mentioned Osayo Sifo uh, playing well. Just love his motor and his energy. Uh, I think he's also allowing them to kind of rest Colin Castleton a little bit. You know, I did see uh, James Dykes wondered if Colin Castleton was awake or involved in the game with Florida up twenty, which I thought was an interesting take. But um, you know, are you worried about Castleton at all, or or you think Jimmy Dykes just wanted to talk? And, um, you know, maybe the play of Osifo and Omar Payne was pretty good uh, last <laughs> night. He, he likes playing Auburn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Dykes, not someone who's particularly comfortable with uh, with silence during the broadcast. He uh, He's not someone who likes to see the game breathe. He's a he's a filler of space. Um uh, much like Florida's two big uh, lineups where uh, they kept getting those uh, those seals from Omar Payne and Osayo Sifo for, for easy layups, which is just uh, awesome whenever they come. doesn't show up in the stat sheet. But, uh, yeah, Omar Payne and and, uh, and Osayo Sifo just do it, do it really well, and it gets uh, gets some of those guards just really easy layups. But um, you, going back to the question about Colin Castleton, my concern, um, yeah, I, I am, to be honest. I mean, I, I don't know anything, but just the fact that he hasn't played – as many minutes as he, as he has like, like, and again, he doesn't look ginger when he's out there. Like, it's not like he's um, yeah. Like, like he, when, when he's out there, he plays with reckless abandon. Like, I mean, he's, he do, doesn't seem to be scared of his ankle or anything, but I do think the less minutes um, uh, yeah, it, 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 it does make you wonder. And again, at this point of the yeah. season, especially if you do have some kind of a, an ankle thing, it's, it's probably never going to really be a hundred percent. Like there's just not a chance to, to rest it, to, to, what it probably needs to be at. So, uh, so, you know what, I, I am a little bit concerned, but, uh, you know, we played whatever 21 minutes against Auburn. If he can do that again, that'll be, uh, that'll be good. Yeah. I mean, he played 21 minutes and had seven points and eight rebounds. So if you're going to be anonymous as, as James Dykes, uh, alleged, you might as well get seven and eight in 21 minutes. That's kind of my view on it. Um, you know, I am a little worried about the, the decrease in minutes, because um, I don't necessarily think it's a byproduct of Omar Payne being like particularly good. Uh, Florida's much better when Castleton's on the floor as a general rule. Um, but, you know, again, Payne was pretty good last night. And, and I liked that Payne uh, moved the ball quicker, like last night when, when Auburn came with help. I think that that's something that, that he, among the things he needs to work on offensively, uh, and Colin Castleton does too, for that matter. But I think with Colin, it's a little different because he's thinking about scoring and how to get to the basket. And I don't think Omar is necessarily, you know, has the arsenal of moves to necessarily be thinking about scoring. He's just thinking. And uh, that's, that's less good uh, in my view, Eric. 
Yeah, it's a good point. And again, there there have been some of those turnovers, like especially uh, uh, the game prior against Arkansas. Um, that's uh, there, there's definitely uh, there's definitely times where I think that they throw the ball down low into into Castleton, and uh, everyone kind of stands still. And I, I know that the thought is like, hey, you know, four shooters around your, your post player. But it's like, hey, if everyone's standing still, it's pretty easy to double. And I do yeah. think that some of those turnovers that he had, uh, again, again, especially against Arkansas, who did it pretty well. I I, forget, I think he had, you know, maybe four or something. Uh, a lot of them were like, well, if, if four guys are going to stand still and, and Florida's not running anything off the ball, it just it just becomes really easy to double. Right. So would I like to see Castleton be a little quicker uh yeah i think that so many of these post players are just way too slow i think you feel your defender and you make a move you don't you don't take three dribbles to feel a defender you uh you can stand straight up you can stick your butt out you can uh take one quick look like you just got to feel your defender look at maybe even take a quick glance where, where his feet is are at and attack from there i mean that's what post play is like uh, a lot of times it's attacking players feet especially when you look at uh it's especially in like the, the 90s nba where everyone just like posted up it was all about attacking feet it wasn't as much um anything else or uh trying to get your guy in the air it was like oh try to get his feet moving so you can step around him, drop step, lay it in. Like it, it just, you, you've just got to be so much quicker. So um, yeah, I mean, could Castleton get a little quicker with his decision-making? I do think so. But again, I think hey, if, if Florida does just keep throwing into the post and, and don't run anything away from the ball, they, they do become easy to double team down there. Yeah. I think there's no doubt about that as well, but in the end, Mike White improves to five and two over Bruce Pearl uh in his tenure at florida the only two losses came in the uh, year that auburn made the final four so um certainly some some mastery uh over the auburn tigers and the pearl regime uh, i don't want to say it mimics the kind of mastery that pearl had over billy donovan that's a little unfair um to billy because that was closer to 50 50 than pearl versus white is uh but but it is interesting that that um white seems to to have good plans to to you know uh, affect what Auburn and Bruce Pearl want to do and we saw it again last night whether it was the absence of Sharif Cooper or not I think Florida's ability to block shots impacted the game um, because there was definitely some reluctance on the parts of like an Alan Flanagan uh, or other Auburn guards to get into the paint early and that's when Florida built a huge lead and I think some of that has to be attributed to the fact that People know that that Omar Payne and and uh, Con Castleton, and to a lesser extent, uh, the Wild Man Anthony Derusier down there. And they're running a little bit of like almost like like Wisconsin swing offense from from yeah. the, what they used to run. Yeah. And again, it kept some it kept some of those you know, like a lot of times you know Auburn was playing two bigs and and uh, they're kind of moving it side to side where they they ran those cross screens and uh, just tried to free up those, those post players. And, and again, I think it also kind of kept Florida's front court players near the rim. That obviously helps with uh, helps with shot blocking where it's, it's not like teams are kind of trying to spread out Florida shot blockers and they've got to run a long ways to recover. I do think the way that Auburn kind of spaced the floor helped that out. So it was definitely a mix of, you know, Florida is such, just such an awesome shot blocking team. And um obviously Auburn was, uh, was making it a little be- bit easier for them at times. Uh, but, uh, Hey, it's great. Uh, Neil, I mean, something that's pretty interesting. Uh, Florida is now a better defensive team than offensive team on Ken Palm, something we've been tracking for a year and a half. And it looks like we might be back to, uh, back to the original Mike white DNA. They are 28th on defense and 34th on offense. Yeah. They're improving. And like, I mean, you know, it was interesting that, I, so I don't do this very often, but when a team does like something that Georgia did, 
Tuesday night and then goes and just blows out a pretty hot LSU team. You know, I went back to see, I'm like, yeah, I wonder what Tom Crean said after the game, which I normally wouldn't do. And, you know, he just said, well, we, we, we play better offense um, this game, but he said a lot of the less game had to do with who we were playing. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Like, you know, he, you know, so there's this, I know we saw the shot accuracy thing that, that you had shared. And I don't know if our audience knows about it, but Georgia statistically, uh, if you just look at shot selection, I guess the percentage of them winning was higher than, than Florida's. Um, But it seemed like Creed's kind of position was, you know, Florida forced to take shots that we weren't particularly comfortable with. And, and they were very active defensively. And that's kind of why they had a season low in points. Yeah, I mean, those are obviously uh, those are big, big compliments when it comes from from another coach. Uh, so, hey, maybe they are turning the corner. But I, I, I guess I do have to ask you, Neil. They are currently better, better defensively than offensively. Do you think this team is is for real uh, defensively, or do you think they maybe just had two? To, I don't want to say they had two lucky games, but uh, do you think they played a Georgia team that's not great and a uh, uh, Auburn team without Sharif Cooper? So I think they're really good at transition defense, and I still think this, and I think that's why they defended Georgia well um, because LSU can't play transition defense, um, and that's not a good thing to not be able to do when you play Georgia. Um, and then I think with Auburn, they played them without Sharif Cooper, and they – dispatched them rather easily. Um, I do think schematically they had a good game plan for Auburn with or without Sharif Cooper. Like you said, I'm not sure they press as much, but I guess that's a good way to segue into the Kentucky preview where we get a better idea of how much they've actually corrected Saturday afternoon in Rupp. Yeah, let's let's just go back to the the first game. Um, What do you think went – if you had to put – Florida's loss on one on one thing. What would you what would you say that that Florida did that got them beat, or that Kentucky did to win? I, I could frame the question as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure because see, this wasn't a game where Kentucky did what they so often do, which is just crush you on the offensive glass, right? I mean, Auburn, Auburn, Kentucky had six offensive rebounds. So, I think what I would say is Florida was very careless with the basketball. Um, and you know, they had all Kentucky at 10 steals and then, uh, Florida shot selection was very poor. Um, and I thought that was bad because Kentucky had seven block shots, at least a handful of which I thought were the product of poor shot selection. Um, so I would say those two things, just turnovers and shot selection, um, were bad. And, and, you know, Kentucky also shot the ball better than they had all season. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a good point. And uh, uh, for them to shoot 46% for the three-point line, that's probably not going to happen. Or I don't, I don't know if it's happened since for them. I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't. Um, and and uh, uh, yeah, and then I, I think you look at, uh, yeah, you just look at the fact that uh, Florida from two-point range shot 33%. Uh, that's that's rough. I think that Florida left a lot of points, uh, kind of left a lot of points on the board. But but again, it was as much as, you know, Florida played played poorly uh, offensively, left, uh, left some of those points at the rim um you know they allowed 1.15 points per possession from kentucky uh that'll get you beat against most most teams and and kentucky is not a very good offensive team so so for that to happen uh that that's pretty rough so 
so again, it's 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 going to be interesting to uh, to see again how is how is Florida's straight line drive defense and um, again do they try to sit in the gaps a little bit more and and challenge Kentucky to shoot? Uh, obviously, Kentucky shot really well in the first game, um, but on the season they are uh, 198th in the country in three point percentage at 33 percent. That's below average. So I think it might be a little bit of a little bit of pick your poison, and uh, I think that Florida might be wise to just like really pack it in try to protect the hoop let's see if Kentucky can shoot 46 percent from three again yeah and and Kentucky is coming off uh the win over Tennessee where Calipari said that was the best game they played um and they shot that's the only other game where they shot 46 percent or higher from three um and most of that was Davion Mintz just going five for five I mean (laughs) okay uh you know and I he is a pretty good shooter um, they are versatile now. They were versatile against Florida in terms of their scoring. A bunch of guys contributed. Eric, they've got uh, seven guys that have scored in double figures in their last eight games, what they've improved. Um, so obviously that's quite a bit better. Um, and then I really think that the biggest difference in the three-game winning streak is – and it was something that started to happen – um, you know, when they played Missouri and he played really well, but Isaiah Jackson, the last five, six games has really kind of come into his own and, and given them a different element. Now against Florida, he was really good, you know, nine points, six rebounds, uh, three blocks. So, um, you know, that, but that had been his best game, the Florida game, like the rest of his teammates in the last five games, he's been excellent. Yeah, pretty interesting. I mean, I I was someone who thought that Olivier Saar was going to just kind of unquestionably be the guy and be really good, and um, that hasn't always been the case. But at the same time, they've also started to to roll those guys out next to each other, which is a very interesting front court. You have Isaiah Jackson, like skinny, six foot ten. Olivier Saar, uh, seven footer. Um, yeah, pretty uh, pretty imposing front court. And uh, what's really interesting about Kentucky just versus everyone else in, in college basketball, they they just run stuff out of the post more than just about anyone. Um, they have twelve you percent know, of their offense is is from post ups, which is um, I, I don't know what the national average is. I'd have to look, but that's way way higher than than anything I've seen from from teams Florida has played this year. And they're really good out of it. They and so again, I think a lot of times when you see post up derived offense, you see those you know inside out threes that teams are looking for. Uh, Kentucky gets that a little bit, but but a lot of it is guys scoring off cuts. And, and I think that's what's really impressive is um, you know Olivier Saar and. Uh, he's going to command double teams, and Isaiah Jackson, maybe even more, is is going to command double teams. And 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 when that happens, like again, this is actually funny because we talked about this, um, as as they're not looking to to sit around and try to catch and shoot a bunch of three point shots, they're looking to cut and score. So there is Keon Brooks who's out there looking for dunks. Terrence or Terrence Clark, not who. I- was looking for um uh, brandon boston he's out there looking for dunks like uh dante allen he's out there looking for layups and dunks like so so again it's going to be interesting for florida because um florida's whole defense has really been um trying to force long passes where they can rotate um whereas uh, kentucky's not looking to make the long pass for a three-point shot they're looking for a close uh, near pass where they can uh they can dunk it without having to dribble so uh definitely interested to see how florida chooses to, to guard guard post-ups yeah, no, I think it's interesting uh, how they're going to do that. And then the question I have with Isaiah Jackson is, like, everything through him is in the post. They talked all offseason about how, like, he had been working on his three-point shot in the summer. And, you know, he knows he's got to learn to shoot that shot to play in the NBA. And, you know, I'm not even necessarily sure that's true with him. You're, you're the uh, NBA draft expert. He's so freakishly fast. 
uh, and quick and such an elite shot blocker already that I'm not really sure like he has to have that skill before he goes pro. But if he catches the ball 20 feet from the basket, you know, Florida doesn't, like you said, I mean, they're going to be better off dropping off. It's not a guy that's going to hit shots from out there. He's attempted four threes all year. So they're going to run things in and off him. And then I think, you know, how does Florida react to his passes out of help, which the last few games have been pretty good for assist uh, per contest. Well, that's uh, that's again, everyone knows that I'm a big fan of lazy analysis. And I think uh, the easiest lazy analysis you can do for any player from an NBA draft standpoint is just say, oh, they've got to learn to shoot the ball better. Especially with the front court player, you just oh they've got to add the three point shot. It's like the la- it's like the lazy thing to to just say about any front court player, and everyone's just like oh yeah, make makes sense. So uh, yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Not every player, especially centers, like look at the, look at the effective centers in, in the NBA. A lot of them are are, are not stretch stretch players. Um, they're lob threats. They're vertical spacing threats. They're not corner spacing threats. But uh, so he's obviously been re- been really impressive. And um, I, I, again, something that I'm interested in is is I forget which game it was, but I. I know there was a couple earlier this season where I was lamenting the way that Florida double teamed the post. And I thought that they were really soft when they were double teaming and they were kind of passively double teaming. And, and that was uh, the game they won. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, the I, old, I, I miss game. Right. And I, I believe I equated it to uh, Todd Grantham corner blitzes. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but again, <laughs> uh, yeah, again, so like, will Florida go for like the, the softer, like, Hey, we're going to show pressure, but not really. We'll we'll let the post player see that a double team is going and try to force the, the ball out of his hands by, by him feeling a, a double team coming. Um, or are they going to say, no, we are going to force the ball out of this player's hands by having a second player come and try to rip it away from him. Um, we'll see. And again, like if you're, you're trying to force long passes, um, to Teams that are looking to uh, looking for those three point shots, like yeah, you can be a, you can be a little bit more passive. Let that guy pass out of the post because you think you can recover on a long pass. Uh, well, again, Kentucky is not going to do that. Um, and, and again, much like what Florida does, where they have Colin Castleton posting up and uh, the, and Omar Payne sits on the opposite block. So if his man takes like a half step over to to help, he's right there for a drop off pass for a dunk. Uh, Kentucky will do that as well. So once again, if you send a soft double team there. Uh, uh, you're going to give up some opportunities for easy buckets. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see because I, I do think that Florida is going to send uh, send some help, some double teams in, in some some form or fashion. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, by the way, I want to correct the stat I had on – I didn't – I think I, I phrased it wrong, Eric. It's 4.5 assists per game in the last five from their post offense, which is like SAR – Jackson, the collective, not just Isaiah Jackson, but I want to, that's still a pretty good number. And it just shows, I think that those bigs are capable of passing. And so if you do fire the post, as Mike White uh, said, you better actually fire the post. It's basketball, right? Like don't, uh, don't blitz for Micanopy um, to, to extend the Grantham uh, metaphor a bit more. So uh, here's what I want to ask you, because I do think we agree that Florida's shot selection was poor in the first game with uh, Kentucky and Kentucky's, you know, six years ago, John Calipari went to the car wash at ESPN and Scott Van Pelt asked him a question about zone defense. Uh, Good, good Maryland boy, Scott Van Pelt. And uh, you know, good Gary Williams disciple. Hey, what about the zone? Can I play a little three, two, you know, Gary Williams it up. And uh, John Calipari said he would never play zone defense. And then a couple years ago, 
Kentucky played, I think, 3-2, like 40% of the time. So I wanted to know, what are they doing defensively this year? What are the numbers saying? Um, is it more of the normal philosophy where they use their size and switch everything and try to keep everything in front of them and funnel things to the rim? Yeah, they played 4% zone. Um, that's been something that's uh... – uh, and and it's been a little bit more recent. Like again, like uh, they played as much zone as they have all season against. Uh, uh, well, first they they did a bunch against uh, against Missouri in that game, and then uh, and then it came out against uh, against the Sharif Cooper playing two. They played two three zone um, against him, and and just kind of clogged it up and tried to tried to keep Sharif Cooper out of the paint. So that's definitely something uh, something of note. They've also pressed a little bit less than they have in the past, and and that's pretty interesting. Um, I think when you've got maybe. You know, as much as Sar is Sar is big, I don't know. It's just like doesn't doesn't he doesn't seem to to like these front court players as, as much, and they're they're kind of press and relying on them to to hold things down at the uh, on the backside. Um, but again, something that uh, is obviously very very notable to to me is I always just look at how does the team guard pick and rolls, and uh, Kentucky is a team that that drops and, and likes to chase players over the top, so they're, they're giving up a ton of shots to pick and roll ball handlers. Um, they're hardly giving up any shots to pick and roll role players, and they're also not giving up a lot of catch and shoots. Uh, so uh, again, you look at the you look at their defensive shot chart, the shots that they give up. Uh, they give up a lot of shots off the dribble, which is great. That's what a lot of a lot of defenses um, want to do. Um, actually, I was gonna I, I made a note about this in in uh, uh, some of the pregame stuff I was doing. Nineteen um, percent of their the shots they give up are off the dribble. That is a very very high number. Um, so they are they're kind of you look at Florida who ended up taking a lot of bad shots against them. Uh, Kentucky has done that. And uh, they've, they forced a lot of teams into, into a lot of mid range jumpers. And and again, I see Noah Locke and Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann and Tyree Appleby, all guys that would be happy to take those shots. I mean, Kentucky's a team that could, that could goat them into it. There's no question. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about, about the, what you think the best way to attack them is with, with the personnel they have. I mean, you've, You've kind of talked about what you think they'll do. Um, you know, what do you think would be effective? I mean, they did a really nice job on Scottie Pippen Jr. Nobody's really done a nice job on Scottie Pippen Jr. Um, but, you know, got murdered by Dylan DeSue to the point where Vanderbilt was at 1.1 points per possession against them, which is pretty good. Um, you know, what can Florida maybe glean from the Vanderbilt film? Because you're talking about that's a team with an even bigger athleticism deficit than, than Florida's going to have, which – you know, obviously with Keontae, we might be talking about Florida playing Kentucky without an athleticism deficit, but that's not the case. Uh, no, the, uh, yeah, the athleticism deficit, definitely, definitely different than when we're, when we're, when we're talking Florida, Kentucky and, and Vanderbilt there, there should be a, should be one of those teams that doesn't belong. <laughs> no question. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, the, the starter, the starting thing for whenever you play a team, that's, that's a good half court defensive team. Uh, is if you can score in transition, if you can get a shot up in transition, that that's obviously great. And, and Kentucky hasn't been a very good t- team in transition defense. Uh, I think that that comes from, from, being young, I mean, transition defense is, is really difficult to do. There's there's no question. Um, so young teams usually struggle with it. And um, again, I do think that they do well guarding pick and roll. So I kind of look at how Florida played against Auburn, and they said, hey, if we're going to run pick and roll, we're not going to just run side pick and roll that drop coverage teams like Kentucky are going to be able to handle. Uh, let's let's run that double drag in uh, in transition. And uh, I, or sorry, this the kind of secondary break. Let's run it early. And 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 I would like to see them continue to run those. Uh, 
that floppy action that they were they're running for for Noah Locke and and, and something I like too as well that um, one of their one of their post up sets that they kind of ran was they 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 ran floppy and if the shot wasn't there on the catch and shoot uh, they would instantly. The, the, the second screen that would be coming for the shooter was usually by Colin Castleton. And then once he set that second screen, he would turn and seal and, and get a deep post touch. Um, I, I think that that's a good way to attack. But again, I think that those, I think that Florida needs to look at this game as like not a play through the post game. It's got to be like when the ball goes inside, it's got to be deep catches and they've, they've, they've got to be looking to finish. I don't think this is a game where Colin Castleton catches the ball 12 feet out and kind of tries to dribble dribble his man down and and scan the defense i i i think you don't want to engage those kinds of guys defensively and and let those post players defend and let double teams come uh let's try to get like brandon boston being a primary defender let's try to get a Devin right. ask you try to let's try to make those guys defend and um and again if you run the double drag uh it's gonna gonna get into their they're going to have to communicate and it's going to be a little bit tougher for those guards running through multiple screens. So uh, that's, that's probably what's what I'm looking at relative to what, what Florida has done recently. Yeah, no, I think that those are all good calls. You mentioned playing in transition. I mean, that'd be my biggest thing is, is Kentucky has been a little bit careless with the basketball. That is probably a kind way of phrasing it uh, at times this season. And that's how Vanderbilt got back in a game that they were behind. I mean, I talked about, the great job they did against Pippen and Afford sets, but he went to the free throw line and shot 11 free throws, uh, made 10 of them. I mean, I think if you, if, if Florida can force turnovers and, and go and transition, they're going to have some opportunities. Um, and then, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you just can't let Kentucky manhandle you for easy twos. And, and that's certainly what happened to Florida, particularly in the first four minutes of the, of the second half where the game got away from them. Uh, Kentucky made a ton of easy twos and Florida was really careless with the basketball and you can't do those things uh, and, and beat a team full of future pros. Uh, and now, you know, it's interesting because Kentucky's playing their best basketball, but you know um, you know, it was interesting. Like you could tell from some of the social media stuff, the guys on the basketball team are well aware of what happened on their home floor. Uh, so I think they'll be highly motivated. Uh, and a win for Florida really comes pretty close to locking up um, a double bye in the SEC tournament. Um, although you can't necessarily say that because we don't know how rescheduling is going to work yet. But um, certainly would go a long way to to where like Florida would probably have to win one of their final two to feel safe about the double bye, uh, depending on what else happens around the league, Eric. Yeah, it's a good point, and uh, I, uh, luckily Kentucky has definitely climbed up in the uh, the, net, the net rankings, which uh, is good because it first makes Florida's loss to them earlier not not look as as just absolutely awful as it once was. Though it still was a pretty tough loss, but uh, for for Florida playing for NCAA tournament seeding, I mean, these are the the games uh, you need to try to get. And again, this is the this is kind of like the game the system. Uh, net ranking thing. I, I kind of feel like like Kentucky's like in the 60s, but because it's because it's a Kentucky home game, um, it'd be treated as a very good win for Florida if they won it. Um, I think that that's kind of one of the problems with the net, in, in my opinion. Like like say Florida goes and wins, the the net would value that win probably more than than it probably should deserve. But uh, uh, but hey, uh, still definitely uh, uh, definitely won that for their SEC seeding for their NCAA tournament seeding. Um, uh, they they. they they obviously matter, especially this late. And, and again, for uh, for Florida's recruiting, I just I, again, if Florida's recruiting the same kid as Kentucky, I just would not want John Calipari to be able to say, "Hey, you, you know, we had 
everything go wrong. We had our worst season in however many years and we still swept Florida. Like, I mean, that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty devastating line um, that for, for any, any recruit that Florida might be trying to get, or um, even, uh, even, Hey, some of the guys that are going to be returning to the team next year. Uh, I don't think that, I don't think that they want to be like, Oh man, like, even when Kentucky was bad, they they had our number. Like that's just uh, that's not what that's not what you want. There's no question. So it would definitely be uh, be good to uh, to stop Kentucky's little mini run that they're on and uh, keep Florida's momentum off uh, off a good Auburn game going. Yeah, and I mean Florida. We talked about it on the Kentucky preview, not knowing that things would just go horribly wrong <laughs> against a pretty bad Kentucky team uh, at the time. Certainly bad. Uh, now I think a lot of people think maybe a sleeper contender to win the SEC tournament, especially because you know that with 25% capacity in Nashville, it's just going to be Kentucky fans. <laughs> um, so then they basically play in home games uh, at the SEC tournament. You know, Florida was close to beating them at Rupp last season. Certainly should have beat them on their home floor. Uh, and then, you know, to not get them at home, I think this time around, you know, now you're looking at, a pretty long stretch here without a win over them. Florida hasn't beaten them since Chris Gio's senior day. Uh, so it's getting, it's getting long for Mike White and the staff. And it's certainly one I think Florida wants to go get. I, I've got to say like, is uh, like, I don't know if I'm cheering for Kentucky to do this, but it would be objectively very funny if Kentucky won the sec tournament and then was like a 14 seed in the bracket. Um, because if they, if they did win the sec tournament, like they, their, you still their their resume at large would probably have them as like a thirteen or fourteen seed, and that would be just objectively funny if they're playing in the uh, as the fourteen seed. And I know I, I know whatever team would be matched up against them in in game one would not be particularly happy when they probably thought they'd be seeing <laughs> NC Central, but uh, but it would be like you know it would be fun. I, I I would not mind it to be honest with you. Yeah, I think what would happen is it, it, to be fair, I think they would probably get like a twelve. That's pretty much as low as they ever go with a power six tournament winner. Um, but like, could you imagine like you play great basketball all season and you're Drake and it's like, ah, here's your five, here's your five twelve game <laughs> or your Loyola Chicago. Yeah. You're, oh man. <laughs> and you've got a five seed. And it's like, Oh, Kentucky sweet. You know, hey, and, have you seen, have you seen what, uh, have you seen what Colgate's doing in the, uh, in the, in the rankings? no, so no, they have, have like, well, I mean, it's not, nothing that they can do, but they have like inadvertently like gamed the system by by Patriot teams, um, Patriot League team. Like so, so few non-conference games. Of course, many of those teams are in, are in states that uh, weren't really able to, to do much in the non-conference. Um, so they only played like a couple of games and then Colgate has done really, really well in league. So Colgate is currently 13th in the net. They are one spot behind Florida State and one spot ahead of Southern California. So they were a team that um, I think preseason, a lot of people would have been like, hey, like this is a really good mid-major team. Colgate's been good for a couple of years. Um, they could be a team that could be uh, definitely favored to win their league, definitely a team that can maybe even sneak in as an at-large as like a 12 seed. Um, but just because of the way that, uh, again, just because of the way that uh, their non-conference worked and the way that they played so few games, but did pretty well. And then Colgate has done well in their league. It is like gamed the algorithm and Colgate is 13th in the net. And they've been like locked at 13 for a number of, for a while now. So I'm just like very interested to, to see what the, uh, what the NCAA tournament committee does. Same, same thing. I mean, Loyola Chicago is 11th. I, I think Loyola Chicago is great. 
I don't think they're the 11th best team in, in the country. Um, and yeah, there's just like, there, there's definitely a few things that have, you, you, well, obviously, I mean, nothing was, nothing in college basketball was, you know, pandemic proof, but the net rating ranking was definitely not, uh, definitely not ready for all these like, different like barely non-conference for some leagues and a lot for other but uh anyway so so cole number 13 in the net maybe they maybe we see them as the high seed against kentucky uh, when the bracket's out well i know they've got two big ones against brett nelson and the holy cross crusaders who are red hot two victories in a row for holy cross uh headed into headed into colgate this weekend so uh, we'll see. Well, you know, throw out the records when the Crusaders and Colgate get together, Eric. Um, that's all I'll say about that. But uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks everybody for listening. We will be back Sunday after uh, Florida's trip to Rupp.